0: The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Good morning. It is an honor to be with you today, an opportunity to share from God's Word. We're in Genesis chapter 2. The title of the message today is The Good News of God's Creation of Man and Woman. Before I lead us in prayer and we walk through the text, let me make sure that you understand where I'm coming from and really where this church is coming from. I believe and hold to, we believe and hold to as a people, both the inerrancy and the authority of Scripture. Let me define inerrancy. We believe that The Bible is truth. We don't just believe it contains truth. We believe it is truth. That it is totally true and without error. Second, I believe we believe in the authority of Scripture. That God speaks from the position of the sovereign authority of the universe to us. We are not the authority over Scripture. We don't tell God what he has said. God has spoken. Now, we come today to Genesis chapter 2, which is culturally treated as a myth and that which it contains as less than authoritative. Now, I submit to you, and I'll try to make this clear over the next several weeks, that without Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 3 makes no sense. Nor does the rest of redemptive history, you say, what does that mean? Nor does the rest of the Bible. Jesus makes no sense without Genesis chapter 2. The magnitude of sin and the destruction that follows can only be understood when we grasp the nature and the purpose of humanity. Why did God make us? How did God make us? So, to that end, let's pray. Father, I plead now for men and women with so many voices in their ears. So many things confronting them and in their face every day. People have gathered in this room with all sorts of opinions about what we're about to talk about. But you have spoken. I pray now that our hearts, our minds would be aligned with you. And where they are not, we would confess that is sin and turn from it to you. Lead us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want you to see is the good news of the Lord God's creation of man. So God's not doing an apologetic. He's not arguing for something. He's just stating it as it is. These are the generations, of the heavens, and the earth, when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, right away, something happens in this verse that you don't really know what's going on in the language. You don't, you're not catching it. In Genesis chapter 1, The name for God is Elohim. It's a generic word like we use God. So multiple religions use that word. In verse 4, it says, the Lord God. Now that's the word Yahweh. That is the proper and personal name of God. Now this is speaking to what's going to happen. As God now uses his personal name, we see that what happens here is of a personal nature. Verse five, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, the Lord God, Yahweh, had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground and a mist was going up from the land and it was watering the whole face of the earth. Then Yahweh, the Lord God, formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. Now I just want to extract a couple of words here and slow down for a moment and think about it. The Lord God formed. This means God created something with design. This is a word picture of a talented artist, a talented potter who, who takes material and with beauty creates this, this speaks to a craftsman who is both has skill and sovereignty. So God forms with skill and he forms out of his sovereign hand. In other words, he's not answering to anybody here. The man's not telling him what to do or how to do it. God of his own sovereign will is creating man and he's doing so with skill now folks we forget these two things at our own peril when we reject the skill in which God has made us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and we reject the sovereignty in which God has made us that it is God in fact who has created us and we treat ourselves as As happenstance and evolved, then we do so at the result of our own peril and the peril of humanity. But God humbles us here, though. Not only does He say He's formed man, He forms man of dust from the ground. The emphasis here is that man's body is coming from the dust from the ground. This leads Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 47 where he's talking about the resurrection that the first man was of the earth made of dust and that's where we're going to return. But God's not diminishing the body there because God promises for those who are in Christ he's going to resurrect the body The body's not evil. It's good. Now to this body that God forms he now comes face to face and he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. Now God here is doing more than simply making this man alive. There's more happening. So turn with me to Job chapter 32. What we're hinting at here with the breath, and it becomes obvious when we read this text in Job 32, that God here is showing us that this man is made in God's image. Yes, he's from the ground. He's not a God, made from dust. But he is in the image of God. Job 32 8. But it is the spirit in man, the breath of the Almighty, that makes him understand. You see, this is what sets him apart from the animals. That his ability with thought and reason to understand and to acknowledge and to know that there is God. This is a quote. All life is a gift from God. And Adam was alive and breathing like the other animals, but there was more. The breath which animated him was given to him personally by God. It was person-to-person contact. A direct personal involvement of God giving life to Adam raised him above the rest of creation. And here was a person created to live in close fellowship with God. This is why it is stated that man was made in God's image. So we see the good news of God's, the Lord God's creation of man. Then we see the good news of the Lord God's garden. This is provision. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he formed, and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the side and good for fruit. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the the garden here is a prepared place. God planted a garden, the scripture says. It's called later in Genesis 13, Isaiah 51, the garden of the Lord. This is the handiwork of God in creating and planting this garden and preparing this place for man, which, which brings our mind to John chapter 14, verse two, when Jesus said, I go to do what? Prepare a place for you. A real place, and just like that's going to be a real place that God prepares for us, Eden was a real place. It emphasizes it was in the east. We know that rivers flow out of it and surround it. We also see this: that Eden was a wonderful place. It was every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. God's supply, His bountiful supply, is poured out. Eden is a place of life. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden. It's the tree which Adam freely ate of and lived. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So notice two trees are identified. This is important as we move through chapters two and three. It says a river flowed out of Eden, the water of the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The first is the Pishon, the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold in that land is good. Dillium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gahan. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush, and the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. If you study history, and if you study the atlas of the world and what's happening in the world, you know that this part of the world between the Tigris and the Euphrates, is called the Fertile Crescent. This is a place in the midst of desert where things live and thrive. And it is in this place, verse 15, that the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden. Now don't miss this. He put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. So Eden is an active place. Adam is not there on a long summer vacation. He's not there with nothing to do. He's not in boredom roaming around Eden. God put him in the garden to work. So this idea, which I've actually heard preachers say, that work is the result of the fall is false. Work is not the result of the fall. It is God's design from the beginning that man work. God is a worker and human beings were created to work. It is a part of our well-being. God made us to work, not to be idle. He created us to use our minds and our bodies in activity that would honor him. When he says work it and keep it, this is a spiritual sense as well. Because the word work you see as it unfolds in the scripture is the word that is used often to talk about worshiping or serving the Lord. Keep, which can also be translated guard, is the same thing that God will say over and over again with his commandments. Keep my commandments. So in this, Adam is clearly honoring and serving God. Then we have a prohibition. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now, let me just make sure you get this. Remember, God singles out two trees. The tree of life, question. Is Adam prohibited from eating of the tree of life? No, he is not. Now, he will be. I'll explain that next week. But at this point, no. But he is prohibited from eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Now, the reason that I asked that question and the reason you asked that question points to the very nature and why Genesis chapter 3 happens. The thing that wells up inside of us and says, what would you do that for? Let me just... Simply say it this way. Imagine this is the tree. Why did God create this tree? Because God is saying to you, to me, to Adam, my tree. This is my tree. This is not your tree. Don't eat of this tree. You say, I don't quite track with you, preacher. Help me out here. You see, Adam and Eve were to see themselves as children totally dependent on the creator, their heavenly father. For wisdom and for understanding, he is the all-wise, righteous God who alone has the right to determine what is good and evil. The tree represented the ability to be morally autonomous. Don't miss this next sentence. By refusing them the right to eat of this tree, God was indicating to them that I, God, alone am morally autonomous. Human beings are not to live independently of him. God is the lawgiver. All moral choices are made with reference to God. So by not taking of its fruit, the couple were expressing faith in God and they were saying to God, you have the right to order our lives. Now this prohibition, is as strong as any commandment that you find in the Scripture. And with this commandment, there is positive blessing and negative prohibition. All earthly goods and pleasures are at Adam's disposal. Basically, here's what God's saying. Adam, eat to your heart's content. Here's this lush garden. Eat, but don't eat of this tree. And Adam, if you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. So how do we need to to respond right here? Let's just be honest. None of us want to be told what to do. We'll think more in depth about this next week. But I want you to turn to Proverbs 3 with me. And I want you to think about this text. If you've been around church very long, you've heard somebody quote this. If you have not, just listen to this simple principle of Scripture. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. So don't lean on... Why why is that tree there? Don't lean on your own understanding... In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. (laughs) Have you noticed just the disdain for Christianity that exists in the world? You know where that comes from? That comes from wisdom in our own eyes. It comes from no fear of God. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Verse eight, and it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Now let's work this thing in the reverse. You don't trust in the Lord, you're wise in your own eyes, you don't fear the Lord, you don't turn away from evil, then what shall happen to you? You shall surely what? Die. This principle is over and over and over in Scripture. Obeying God is life. Disobeying God is death. Back to Genesis. Next, I want you to see the good news of the Lord God's creation of woman. Praise the Lord. This deals with the creation of woman as man's complement. That God intended that the man and the woman be a spiritual, functional unity, walking together in integrity, serving God together, keeping God's commandments together. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So up to this point, God said, it's good, it's very good. And then he says, this is not good. Does this mean God made a mistake? No. What God was doing in the order of how he is unveiling his creation, he's making sure that we see something here. That we see that it is not good that the man should be alone. And that the man is insufficient. He needs a helper fit. For him, so that we as human beings created in the image of God who is in perfect community, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit intends for us to have relationships with fellow human beings and not live a secluded life. Here's how God does it, verse 19. Out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. So you see Adam exercising his God-ordained role of dominion. The man gave all names to the livestock and the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a found, a helper fit for him. So God parades all these animals in front of Adam. Adam names them. And God's got a purpose in what he's doing. First of all, he's letting Adam exercise dominion, but he's doing a clear illustration for Adam. None of these fit. None of these are adequate. So let me just be clear and emphatic with this next statement that needs to be said in the 21st century. Animals are not a substitute for human beings. There is a radical difference between humans and animals. Animals are not made in the image of God. But there is a fundamental similarity between men and women. Genesis one twenty seven says, In the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. Both men and women are made in the image of God. And what God does here is he makes a helper fit for Adam, a complementary role. So here's the way it is Adam is incomplete. So he creates a woman who, in and of herself, is incomplete. And together they complement one another to accomplish what God has designed. Here's how he does it. Verse 21. The Lord caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place from his flesh. Literally, what it says in Hebrew, it took from his side. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Now, notice how God does this from her side. Doesn't take her from his head. She's not going to rule over the man. He doesn't take her from his feet so that man can rule over her. He doesn't take her from his hand. God takes her from his side. Now, I'm a little slow about some stuff, but I get this. She's side by side. She's fit for him. She's in the image of God. That means she has full access to God. That means just like Adam, she has full responsibility for her actions. But the word helper fit means that she plays an essential role in aiding the man to fulfill his calling. She does not occupy an inferior position in the marriage relationship, but she joins her husband in fulfilling the divine mandate that God has given both of them. And Adam reacts. Here's what he says. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. See, Adam rejoices here. Now, I've been to men's conferences where this is preached and has got heavy sexual overtones. That's part of it. Let's be honest. Adam goes, wow, Amen. that's a good move, God. <laughs> but, but Adam realizes there's more. She's bone in my bone and flesh in my flesh. She's, she's, she's out of man. This is a partner. This is a compliment. God, this is what I need. This is it. Now, hear me here. Track with me. The Bible here answers the homosexual question without any prohibition. None. Those who argue for homosexuality have abandoned Scripture as the ultimate authority and have have substituted something else. Human experience, a definition of human love, sex, and those things have become the highest authority. God here is showing that when he created man in his own image, he created them male and female. This is how it works. Let me say it this way before I move on. This is life. (laughs) And when you really think about what I just said, this is how life gets created. Male and female. He created them. And unless we take this beautiful creation and warp it, God defines it right away. The fourth thing we see is the good news of the Lord God's institution of marriage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, and the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. So let me just quickly extract what I see here. First, marriage is for companionship. The man was alone, now he's not alone. And and, and God intends the marriage relationship to be the deepest form and level of companionship that people are to have. People ask me who my best friend is. Her, Her name is Celeste. Well, no, who your best friend? Celeste. She is my companion. Marriage involves a new family unit. Number two, a man shall leave his father and mother. Now, wait a minute. Adam and Eve don't have a mom and dad, they just have a dad. But God here lays it down from the beginning. Here's how this works a man leaves. (laughs) Hear me, parents. God did not create your children for your companionship. Leave, start a new family. That doesn't mean you're not friends and close and love your kids. That is not what I mean. Don't write me letters about that. That is not, you know what I mean. Don't let your children be a substitute for what God intended in marriage. And listen to me. Some of you, your kids are going to move out when they finally leave and you're going to look at the other person and go, I don't know who you are. God intended for you to maintain and to hold that companionship because marriage is a loving commitment. Hold fast to your wife, Adam. This is a loving commitment between two people that is to be monogamous and heterosexual. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So this physical love within the marriage bond is something that is not unclean. It is good and it is wholesome. So young people, singles, hear me if you will heed the word of God and keep your marriage bed pure, then on the day when you stand before me or someone like me, and I declare that you are husband and wife, and you go to consummate your marriage for the first time, you will do it without shame. With joy. This is... God's design. Now, I love modern people. You know, Jesus didn't say anything about this. Uh, error. See, what, they're, what, what modern people are looking for are the prohibitions in the Bible. Well, God said Jesus didn't. He didn't. What God, what Jesus held up was God's design. And he's emphatic with it right here in Mark chapter 10. Emphatic. In case you missed the gender part, that's where he starts. Watch this. Mark chapter 10, verse 6. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. A duh. You think he's saying something here? Absolutely he is. He knew the 21st century was coming. He knew that the gospel was about to spread into the Roman pagan world where homosexuality was rampant. In the beginning, creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife so the two shall become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one flesh. Then he says, verse nine, in case you don't miss the implication of what God has said here in Genesis. Therefore, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Now you look up here and listen to me and I'm not trying to demean anybody in this room. Here's where culture started. We started backwards. We didn't start with gender. We started backwards. We treated marriage as if something it was optional and we worked our way back up to gender. God said marriage is a permanent union. We say it this way in our clear statement of faith as a church. Marriage is between one man and one woman for life. This is God's design. Now, this is so important. This needs to be the discussion this week of growth group, and that is the plan. And let me just implore you to not treat this subject as something as optional, which leads me to my so what question. Am I living under the authority of the Lord God? You say, okay, what you getting at, Pastor? Turn to Deuteronomy 30. What I'm getting at is this. God authoritatively said, don't you eat of that tree. And there are other things that God has said in the Bible for us not to do. There are things he has told us to do. We know many of those things. So those things you know to be what we are to do or not to do, are, are, you, are you living under God's authority? But it's deeper than that. You see, God's authority here is spoken to personhood, image of God. You live in a culture of death that reaches into the womb of a woman and destroys life. It's because this culture is rejected that man is made in the image of God. We live in a culture now that that on Facebook, there are over 30 options to your gender. What? God designed it, male and female. Marriage between one woman and one man for life. God has the authority and has exercised the authority to dictate how I live. God has. And what God does as he unfolds his word to us, he reveals his design, his expectations, and his prohibitions. His design, expectations, and prohibitions are for my good and his glory. They are for our good and for his glory. Now Deuteronomy chapter 30, These things have been laid out for the children of Israel. So you understand, this would have been the time the book of Genesis would have been revealed to the people. This was all coming together, okay? Moses stands before the people and he says, this is the commandment that I command to you today. It is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven For us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. As if God's stammering about these things we're talking about today. God, we don't quite understand that. Could you let us come to heaven and you explain it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will grow over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear and do it. But the word of the Lord is near you, it is in your mouth, it is in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, by keeping his commandments and his statutes and rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. But if your hearts turn away and you will not hear, but you are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. Does this sound familiar? What do he tell Adam? You shall surely what? Die. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. I set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Now don't miss this last sentence. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Now, here's the issue. Some of you in this room right now think that you're on a moral and spiritual high ground. I believe in marriage, man and woman. I believe in gender. I want you all to hear me right now and hear me clear. You've all chosen death. All of you. I chose death. Now, what? John Chapter Ten. Jesus knew this. He knew this. He knew that all of humanity had chosen death. And he says this, I have come that you might have life. I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Now I'm ratcheting ahead to to verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And watch this. No one takes it from me. You know what he means here? No human being has authority over me. Not one. And guys, it's going to look like it. And when you read about it, it's going to look like it. But I'm telling all of you, nobody had authority over Jesus. Jesus laid down his life Of his own accord. And he said, I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. (laughs) So I know I'm getting into next week. Next week is depressing. And it is it's sobering for me to look out at you and say, all of you have chosen death. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Jesus Christ chose death for you. He died a sinner's death in your place because you have chosen death. But unlike you, He's God and He has the authority to take it up again. And what does He do on the third day? He lives. He lives. John chapter 3. I'm not going to ask you to turn there. You can just go read this later. And how does he then change you? You are born again. Ezekiel 36. He removes your heart of stone and he gives you a heart of flesh. God. Breathes into the believer life. Now, here's what we say. Here's where Christianity is askewed. I hope you can track with this. If you don't, come ask me questions after the service. Here's where this modern little version of Christianity is going Jesus is my Savior. Jesus died on the cross for me. I still live like the devil. I'll just, you know, come to the altar and, you know, and I'll re up every, I'll rededicate every few weeks and, eh, you know, eh, he's my Savior. When we stand in the waters of this baptistry, we say these words. Jesus Christ is first my Lord and my Savior. You hear me, friend? The one who had the authority to take his life up again when he saves you now takes full authority of you. And guess what? Now you can obey him because he Lives in you if you are in Christ. Jesus Christ is the giver of life. He is good news. Let's pray. Lord, for the person in this room who comes in here and has been confronted by things that have been brought forth today whether it be personhood or gender or marriage, they don't first need to get any of that right. They first need to look to Christ, the giver of life, to repent of their sin and look to you, the only one who can save. But God, you know the battle in this room, you know it better than we do We fight tooth and nail to remain our own little sovereigns over our lives. Meanwhile, we die. So cause us to see life today. Cause us to see the beauty in life that is in Christ. And bring us to you, we pray. Draw us to yourself, we plead. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, amen. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.